we got a different vehicle. It's not new, but it's newer. We went from a, a 2014 to a 2018. Uh, the real reason or the main reason I guess that we did it was because our 2014 uh, Honda CRV only sat five people where the Honda Pilot that we got uh, seats seven. Maybe you can squeeze eight in there, I guess. They have seat belts for up to eight. But um, with having lots of grandkids in the area, we just thought it would be a better thing to have more room to be able to seat more people. Uh, but it's amazing the stuff that there is on this car. I'm sure that I won't learn all about it because there's just all this new modern stuff, which is nice, but uh, it has Apple CarPlay, I believe it's called. So you connect your phone and it does everything that your phone can. Uh, your GPS you can use. It shows uh, new text messages and I guess it will read them to you. Um, I remember back when my parents got a 61 Chevy Biscayne, uh, which was the, the cheapest Chevy, full-size Chevy you could get. And back then you had to pay extra for an automatic transmission. You had to pay extra for power brakes and power steering. You had to pay extra for a heater. Uh, if you wanted a carpet in there instead of just a plastic or whatever, um, you had to pay extra for that. Uh, some cars had backup lights, some didn't. Uh, you needed a separate key for the trunk and the glove box, and I'm not sure why we still call it that. Uh, it got that name back in the early 1900s when people were having to crank their cars. So they had a pair of gloves that they would keep so you didn't get blisters from cranking the car. And there were frequent breakdowns, so you needed some gloves. And so we needed a handy place to put them in the glove box. But have you ever noticed that when you get something or something happens to you, it seems like everybody else has the same thing? Like, you know, if you find out that your wife is expecting. It seems like every other woman you see is pregnant. Uh, or, you know, like I said, we got a Honda Pilot, and it seems like we've seen them all over the place now. It's just kind of hard to be unique sometimes. But we can be unique in one way, uh, being children of God, because many of us know people that are not believers, friends, co-workers, neighbors, family. Uh, many may attend church and may be active members, maybe members for many years, but if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you know, you're not a believer. And so you and I can be unique in that way, if nothing else. So let's pray. Father, we just give you thanks for your word. And Lord, your word is unique because it tells of the miracles that you have done uh, since the beginning of time uh, from creation uh, up to today and beyond. And so, Father, I just um, 
give you thanks that we can look at your word and, and know that it's true and know that it's going to be helpful for us. It's going to make us better parents, spouses, people. And so, Father, help us to always come to you first. So, Lord, just open our eyes, our ears, our hearts. And, Father, let the Holy Spirit guide us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Simon says, okay, Peter was also known as Simon. So, the last message was First uh, Peter 1. And so, we're going to build on that and look at First Peter chapter 2 in this message uh, and see what Simon says. Okay, in verse 1. Uh, the NIV, it says, therefore, okay, so it's going back to the first chapter of First Peter. Uh, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Now, I quite often like the message, and I like what it says here, because it says, so clean house. Make a clean sweep of the malice and pretense, envy, and hurtful talk. Now, the word malice, it's not a word we use every day. Malicious, we may use, you know, a little more often. But the word malice, I don't use every day. Maybe you do. But I looked it up to see just what it meant. And it says hostility, ill will, hatred, or bitterness. So we're not to think of people in that way. You know, to have no malicious thoughts or no malice towards someone. Uh, the things that Peter listed there are, you know, thoughts that we may have against others. Uh, in First Peter 1, uh, it's telling us that since we're saved, that we're to be holy like God is holy. You know, and that's a big thing for us to try to do. <coughs> Excuse me. If we're living the right kind of life, malice, deceit, envy, slander won't be part of us. Okay? Because we'll be trying to live holy as God is holy. So verses 2 and 3 of 1 Peter 2 give a, a really good illustration, I thought. Because Peter says, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Okay, now Peter may have been thinking about David's words in Psalm 34, 8, where David said, taste and see that the Lord is good. Okay, so I think what Peter is trying to get across to us is once you've experienced what the Lord can do for you, you should desire more and more of that and by you know what the Lord does for us you know first of all is salvation and then you know meeting our needs and giving us the comfort that we need when we're in trials and you know and so when you've tasted that and seen what God is capable of you know we should have the desire to experience more of that and get closer to him and you know just to, to realize that you know, what he says is true in his word. So in verse 4, it gave the readers a visual of who Christ is. The New Living Translation says, You are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. 
He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. Well, the people that Peter was writing to, they were familiar with the temple uh, from going to Jerusalem to celebrate the holy days. And they had seen the, the great temple that had been built. And so they can relate to the importance of a cornerstone because a cornerstone pulls everything together. Okay, in a, a masonry building, all the other stones, blocks, bricks, you know, whatever is being used are set according to that cornerstone. And so if the cornerstone isn't right, you know, the whole building is going to be wrong. So Jesus is that cornerstone of our beliefs. Okay, without him, without the, the truth of Jesus Christ, you know, the church, you know, the church, not, you know, where you and I go to worship, but us as people, um, the church just falls apart because we need that true cornerstone. So what Peter says next is really important too in verses five and six. It says, you are the living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. As the scriptures say, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem chosen for great honor and anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Okay, so Peter is uh, quoting uh, Isaiah 28, 16 in that. <coughs> Excuse me. So, you know, it said, you know, we are the living stones that are being built onto that cornerstone of Jesus Christ. Now, if you're old enough and were a believer back in the early 1980s, uh, you may be familiar with Leon Patillo. Leon Patillo um, he sang with Earth, Wind, and Fire, I think was the name of the group, different times, and then he, he sang a lot of stuff on his own. I'm not sure if he's still even around, but one song that he sang was Cornerstone, and it says, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation, a sure foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone. He that believeth shall shall not make haste. Okay, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, wonderful counselor, Prince of Peace was the chorus. And that comes from Isaiah 9, 6 that we're familiar with, especially, you know, we hear it a lot during Christmas time. This is, but what God was doing is setting that cornerstone so we could be, you know, that building, you know, the church. Okay, so let's move on to verses 7 and 8 of First Peter 2. It says, yes, you who trust him recognize the honor God has given him, Jesus Christ, but for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Okay, and that's taken from Psalm 118. But it goes on to say, and he 
is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word, and so they meet the fate that was planned for them. So Peter's talking about the saved. He says, you who trust him. Okay, and then he's talking about the unsaved when he says, because they do not obey God's word. So Peter goes on to describe the difference there. And, you know, we, we can't miss that. Because in verse 10, he says, once you had no identity as a people, but now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. And that verse was taken in part from Hosea uh, chapters 1 and 2. And some of you may recognize that as part of the liturgy for a communion service. I, I know it was one that I used every month. Uh, once you had no identity as people, now you're God's people. How important it is for us to know that. So what Peter is saying is, until you were gods, you, man, you were just a nobody. And, you know, in your eyes, you may think, you know, well, I wasn't really a nobody. I was still somebody that God wanted, which is true. But you don't realize who you were before until you become gods. I like verse 11 because it's a classic reminder of whose we are. It says, dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Okay, temporary residents and foreigners. Okay, we're just putting in our time here. You know, the time is going to come when we're going to be with the Lord. You know, this is not our eternal resting place. Uh, our eternal life is going to be in heaven with the Lord if we are believers. So it's an easy thing for us to fall back into our sinful ways. Okay, because listen again to what Peter says. I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Okay, so it's difficult to sometimes break some of those habits. Uh, it's almost impossible sometimes to break some of the relationships that caused you to, to sin back before you knew Christ. Because, you know, it's your parents or it's your child or your spouse or whatever, somebody that, you know, is there. And so, you know, you've got to work that much harder so you're not going to fall back into your sinful ways because the world is constantly attacking us. Okay, Satan knows our weaknesses and he, he knows how and when and where to attack. He knows where we're vulnerable. You know, he knows, you know, just what it is that's going to 
make us fall back. And so he's relentless because once you were his and now you belong to God. And so he hates that. He's going to do whatever he can to try to get you back. Okay, and he's going to, you know, fight tooth and nail to get you back because he lost the battle to keep you. And so he's going to keep on fighting. He's not going to give up. You know, I don't care if you've been a believer for a week or if you've been a believer for 50, 60 years. You know, Satan isn't going to say, you know, okay, I give up. You know, I'm just not going to worry about him anymore. You know, she's just not going to fall and come back to me. I'm just going to forget about her. Not going to happen. Okay, I don't care how long you're a believer. I don't care, you know, how good you're doing. And, you know, how cleaned up your life is now from what it was before. Satan is not going to say, eh, okay, I guess I lost this one. I'll just forget about this person. Not going to happen. He's going to say, I got to fight this much harder. You know, I keep chinking away at this one spot, you know, because I know that's what, you know, he was really into before. So I'm really, really going to go after that one spot in that person's life. So... He's not going to give up on you. So let me finish this first part of the chapter with verse 12. It says, Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior, and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. The beginning of that verse is so, so important. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. When you start to excitedly tell your unbelieving family, friends, neighbors, co-workers, you know, some of them are just going to laugh. You know, they're going to say, oh, you know, no, he's into this Christian stuff now. Or, you know, now she thinks she's a, a, a big religious person. And they're just going to laugh or they're going to argue and they're going to say, you know, what do you mean you don't want to go, you know, to this bar? Or what do you mean you don't want to, you know, do these drugs? You know, I mean, you always enjoyed this. This is, you know, what you always really liked. You know, they're going to doubt you. They're going to say, you know, she's into this now. You know, I give it a week or I give it a month, you know. And some people are going to try to trip you up. You know, they're going to try and, you know, put that stuff out there that they know is going to be a big temptation for you because they want to see you fall because Satan's got a hold of them. And, you know, maybe some people are almost jealous. They're seeing, you know, man, I wish I could get rid of this drug habit like she did. You know, with her relationship with Christ or, you know, he doesn't do these things anymore that I'm still doing. And, you know, I, man, I, I wish I was more like him, but I can't do it. So they're going to try and trip you up. And most importantly, they're going to watch you like a hawk. Okay. They're going to see you do one little thing that you used to do before. And they're going to say, ah, see, I told you, you know, you're no Christian. And, you know, God isn't going to want somebody like you, you know, because of the way you 
did things or the way you talk or the way you treat people, you know, because of that one little thing that you did, they're going to jump all over it. They will listen to every word you say. They will watch constantly where you're going. They will, you know, judge the way you act. And they'll look at who you associate with. And if you slip up just a, a little bit, they're going to pounce on you like a hungry lion. Because Satan has them on alert. He wants you back. But you know what? Jesus is saying, no, I'm not letting go. You know, I'm going to hang on because I know that this is my, my brother. This is my sister. And they don't want you anymore, Satan. So I'm going to do all I can to keep them going in the right direction. But we got to do our part. Okay, now verses 13 and 14, they're really important, especially now in the United States. Take note of how it starts out, because it says, for the Lord's sake, okay? For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king is head of the state or the officials he has appointed. For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. Okay, this is so, so much in need in our country right now. Okay, do it for the Lord's sake. Okay, it's, to me, it, it's just sickening how people of authority are being treated. Okay, and sometimes it's by people that refer to themselves as believers. And still they're treating people of authority, you know, totally disrespectfully. And, you know, First Peter 2, 13 and 14, it says, submit to all human authority. And, you know, kings and heads of state or officials, whatever, you know, that we may not like it, but God's word says, this is what I'm expecting you to do. Now, the next three verses may seem difficult, but let me tell you, it gets more difficult after these three verses. So in the New Century Version, it says, It is God's desire that by doing good, you should stop foolish people from saying stupid things about you. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as an excuse to, to do evil Live as servants of God. Show respect for all people. Love the brothers and sisters of God's family. Respect God. Honor the king. Now this goes back to what I said before. People saying stupid things about you. Two things to remember. Is it says to honor those in authority and to respect God. Okay, and no matter what you do, okay, respect God, honor authority. Whether it's the popular thing to do or not, don't make a bit of difference. God expects you as his child to do it. Okay, verses 18 to 20. Okay, this is tough stuff. This is controversial. But 
we need to remember that it was part of that culture at that time. Okay, Peter says, You who are slaves must submit to your masters with all respect. Do what they tell you, not only if they are kind and reasonable, but even if they are cruel. For God is pleased when, conscious of his will, you patiently endure unjust treatment. Of course, you get no credit for being patient if you're beaten for doing wrong, but if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. Okay, let's get this clear. All right, I'm not going to go into the slavery issue. Okay, it was wrong then in, in Bible times. It was wrong here in the United States, and it's still wrong today all around the world. Because if you think there's no longer any slavery, you better wake up and open your eyes because there's a lot of it going on. So with that being said, God wants us to be respectful even when it's not deserved. Okay, no matter what the situation, God wants us to be respectful. Maybe you grew up in a home with a parent or parents that showed no respect to you. You know, they you know, called you names and they put you down and they, you know, maybe you had siblings that, you know, they didn't treat that way. You know, your, your siblings, they were treated the way you thought you should be treated, but you weren't. And so your parents were disrespectful of you. You needed to show them respect. Why? Exodus 20, verse 12. Honor your father and mother. Commandment number five. First commandment, not dealing directly with our relationship with God. Your disrespectful person may have been a teacher, may have been a coach, a neighbor, a relative, you know, whoever it was, someone that did not, that you needed to respect even though you certainly didn't feel like it because they did not respect you in any way. God wants and expects us to give respect to others. Why? Because God wants you to be a better person than they are. God wants that person to someday look back and say, you know, I, I treated him or her, you know, really badly. I treated him really unfairly, but yet they didn't lash out at me. They didn't treat me the same way that I treated them. And so maybe they'll say, I need to be more like him. I need to be more like her. And I want to find out why. Why didn't they disrespect me the way I disrespected them all of those years or whenever I had the opportunity. God wants you to be a better person than those people that have been disrespectful to you. Listen to verse 21. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example 
and you must follow in his steps. Well, I guess that answers any questions that we may have concerning respect. Follow Christ's example. It may seem to us that Jesus was disrespectful of the Pharisees. Now, I don't think so. Okay? He knew that their goal from the beginning was to take his life. And with that in mind, I think he was very respectful. They did not believe that Jesus was a Messiah. They thought he was a liar. They thought he was crazy. They accused him constantly of being a blasphemer. They attempted to trick him over and over. They would ask him a question that if he answered it the way they wanted him to answer it, they would say, see, you know, he's a blasphemer. You know, he's, he's a liar. You know, he's going against the word of God. But every time they tried to do that, Jesus, not being disrespectful, quite often would come back to them with a question that they couldn't answer. Because if they answered it one way, they'd be in trouble. And if they answered it another way, they'd be in more trouble. And so they'd just say, oh, gee, I don't know. You know, what they didn't know was what answer to give. The one that they really felt was right or the one that they knew was right, but they weren't going there. So I think Jesus showed them much more respect than what they deserved. Now, they would say no, because Jesus made them often look like the fools that they were. Okay, 1 Peter 2, 22 to 24, uh, reminds us of who Christ is and what he did. New Living Translation. Because he never sinned, nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body to the cross, so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you were healed. Okay, these verses that... Peter is merely telling us what we saw in the three years that Jesus lived. Peter lived with Jesus. He heard the insults. He saw the threats. He heard people trying to trick Jesus over and over. And he saw how Jesus reacted to those things. And from what we know of Peter, he probably would have retaliated if those things would have been happening to him because in the garden at the time of Jesus' arrest, John 18, 10 and 11, it says, Then Simon, Simon Peter, drew a sword and slashed off the right ear of Malchus, the high priest's slave. But Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword back into its sheath. Shall I not drink from the cup of suffering that the Father has given me? With that, we can imagine that there were other times that Peter probably would have lashed out physically, or verbally, but Jesus never did. Matthew 26, Jesus has Jesus' response to Peter's actions. He says, put your sword back in, in its place, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my Father and he will at once 
put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say I must that it must happen this way? More than 12 legions of angels. Okay, in the Roman army, a legion was around 6,000 men. 12 legions, 72,000 men. Jesus could have called down 72,000 men to wipe out the Roman army. But Jesus was not in need of Peter and his sword to protect him by any means. But like verse 24 said, it had to happen the way that it happened. Because in verse 24, you know, is probably one of the most important verses. It says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Peter's quoting Isaiah 53. It was only because of Jesus' willingness to go to the cross that we're saved. We could never sacrifice enough lambs to take away our sins. So Jesus became the perfect sacrifice, the eternal sacrifice. And Peter was a witness to what Christ did for us. Peter knew better than anyone how deserving we are of what Jesus did, how undeserving we are of what Jesus did. Now, the last verse of 1 Peter 2, verse 25, says, So once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. The message puts it like this. You were lost sheep with no idea who you were or where you were going. And now you're named and kept up for good by the shepherd of your souls. Do you know where you're going? Do you know to whom you belong? There's only one way to be sure, and that's through a relationship with Jesus Christ. So if you've never made that commitment, right now, today, as you're listening to this, is the best time to do it. Because we've all been sinners, and there's no way to save ourselves. It's only done through Jesus Christ. You need to pray something like this. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins. I don't deserve the death that you had to bear. Please accept me with all of my sin, all of my problems, and take that away from me because you took it to the cross. I need a Savior, and you're the only one that can do it. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.